Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about... Doll Crayon. You are on with the Doll Crayons. I'm your host and your loyal dullard, Gabriel Zuger, and we are recording uh, live from an undisclosed location, live from somewhere, somewhere in Colorado, uh, known locally as The Bunker. I'm joined by my uh, repeating co-host for the day and mother of the pod, Ellen. Ellen, how we doing? We're good. We're really good. We're really good, right? What time is it, Ellen? It's uh, almost 2 o'clock. It's almost 2 o'clock. So as we say, it's uh, almost wine o'clock somewhere, right? Somewhere. But now, being being on the podcast, you know that we have to start with a, a whiskey report. So now, I've presented Ellen with several whiskey options, all of which she has consumed before the airing of this podcast. And you, mother, get to decide what you would like to drink. Now, I'm, I'm just going to announce for the audience we have a Colorado bourbon. We have a Canadian rye that was once voted Whiskey of the Year. Uh, we have a weeded bourbon of high proof. And then we have a celebrity whiskey. Now, what, what would you be choosing today, Ellen? I, I actually want to choose the celebrity whiskey. And which celebrity would that be? That would be Drake. This is Drake's Virginia Black, a decadent whiskey Experience and would you do the audience a favor and describe the bottle a little bit? Give me your glass. So um, the bo- I'm going to start actually with the box that it comes. Oh, in. Oh please, because it comes in a entirely black box. It actually looks like a gigantic perfume in a way. Ab- absolutely. If you didn't say that, we were going to have a problem and we were going to have to stop recording and start again. It looks just like a giant perfume bottle. Not a cologne bottle, a perfume bottle. A perfume bottle. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it said, you know, Eau de Drake on the front of it, I, I would imagine, you know, it would have a spritz top and that you'd be wearing this on your neck or something. But in fact, it is That's a whiskey. That's what it looks like. Um, and why did you choose this one of, of all the whiskeys? Well, since I have sampled all of these, I, I just felt like this one is very interesting and I wanted to break it down. Okay, so you're going to break it down for us? Well, with your help. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm pouring from the... So she's pouring from the Virginia Black. I'm pouring from the uh, Weller Antique 107. Um, and now Ellen has just taken a sip of her what we would say very drinkable whiskey. Now, this whiskey is produced by MGP, as many spirits in America are, and then it is barreled and aged by Drake and his uh, whiskey collaborators. And that's where the decadence is said to come in. So feel-wise, it's, it's quite velvety, no? It, it really sits in your mouth for a while. Mm-hmm. Since I've now learned how I'm supposed to do this yes. correctly. Yes, And so I'm so still... So it's a long finish. It's a long finish. It's a long finish. Right. But it's a very gentle taste altogether, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would say that. And also the smell is pretty terrific. Yeah, it's got a great nose, very aromatic. Um, Might I mean, wear it you as get, a perfume. You get sort of like you know, sort of white chocolate in there. Like, it's got... Yeah, it's, it's got a, some shit it's going on. It's a layered 
a layered fragrance. Excellent, excellent. So it's good on the nose, it's light on the palate, and it's long on the finish. I mean, that's a very drinkable whiskey. But it's a when you say light on the palate, it's a, a little heavier duty than, say, that Colorado one. Okay, well, let's get to the Colorado one then, because I came to Colorado as as fans, as uh, you know, the dullards out there know, I was recently on a Kentucky trip with Tony from the Bronx uh, that was a New York to Kentucky to New York bootlegging trip, strictly. We went there to visit distilleries and to bring bottles back, um, which we did in spades. And so I've had a, a great fill of the American spirit at this point. And I came to Colorado and to the bunker hoping to discover the next great Colorado whiskey because there is a burgeoning craft scene out here. And to my surprise, unlike the Colorado brewery scene, the microbrewery scene, which is amazing and which, you know, I think everybody would give like five stars at this point. They're, you know, up there rivaling like Maine in terms of like the number of breweries and, and the, you know, profiles that they exhibit. Uh, long story short, the whiskey out here sucks my entire ass. <laughs> I mean, I have tasted bad whiskey before, but these are finding new ways to be bad and I'm really shocked at it. And I said to you the other day, I think part of the issue you know, because when you're talking about whiskey and, and especially when you're talking about bourbon, um, where you only have so many ingredients that are going into it, there are only so many ways you can fuck up, right? You can either fuck up the corn, you can either fuck up on the rye, you can either fuck up on the, you know, malted barley, or you can fuck up on the water. And I think they fucked up on the water. I think it's not good water that they're using. And it's Wait, sort of a gimmick. They they're using this snow melt water, you know, from the top of their like 14ers out here. And it just doesn't have a good flavor to it. Like if you're not starting out with a, with a good flavored water, right? With a water that's nice on the palate, then everything else is gonna fail as a result. Don't the breweries need to use water as well? Yes, the breweries need to use water as well, but uh, with, you know, with the carbonation element to beer and with, uh, with IPAs being all the craze, and especially out here, you're getting so much more hoppy flavor, mm. right, that's like hitting you in the face, and you, you can't really get at any of the water. But when you're talking about something that's, you know, resting in barrels, the, the water is, is your base element. I mean... I don't know. Yes, they do. That's a that's an excellent point. I I don't know what I don't know what effect water has on beer, frankly, in terms of like what you're starting with. Well, this I is guess all if you, I guess if you start anyway. with Flint water compared to New York water, you're going to have a pretty well, bad but, product. But let's back up because okay. New York water is known to be flavorful, but we're yes. not talking about anything being distilled or brewed in New York right now. No. Well, so, do you want do you want to talk about things being distilled and brewed in New York? Because New York also has a craft brewing and a craft distillery scene. And how are those? I mean, as far as craft brewing, you guys all know the names, right? There's Brooklyn Brewery. There's yeah, those are know, all great. Let's talk, yeah, and talk those are about, all great. Exactly. So right. let's talk about the distilleries. Yeah. So I've tried a number of them, um, just at like green markets and shit, where they'll bring their bottles, they'll bring their wares, and on the whole. I'm always a little bit disappointed. 
Now, I don't think it has anything to do with the water in that circumstance. I think it, because as we know, it, it is great water. I think it has more to do with the grains that they're using because mm. they're, okay. they're using these northern grains that, I, I don't know, they're, they're coming at it with very different elements. So There are a lot of variables. There, there are many, many variables, it's true. Um, but we are, we're done with our whiskey portion, I'd say, for, okay, for the day. Absolutely. Um, and I'd like to address the elephant in the room, which would be the Wonderlick. Now, the Wonderlick has not been discussed on the pod a lot. Um, no, I just want to say one thing to Drake. Okay. If you want to do a perfume, I'm buying it. I, I Listen, we're going to look this up later. I'm sure Drake has a perfume oh, out good. there. Okay. I mean, he's got to. We'll look it up. If he's got a celebrity whiskey, I'm sure he's he's got perfumes and, you know, a, a, a line of uh, mint gums that we don't know about. All right. Maybe well, a I'm deodorant, an antiperspirant. An Amazon order. I mean, he's only the most marketable person on the entire planet at the moment. So, yeah. All right. We'll get in touch with Drake and his people and start a perfume. Okay. okay. Great. Um, but so the the much maligned Wonderlick, um, to which every host has been forced to take, and you yourself took a sample Wonderlick today. It was would you Would you just tell us about, before we get to numbers, would you just tell us about your experience? Because you had a very strong reaction after this. Well, I, I highly dislike any form of standardized testing. And I especially dislike anything that has numbers in it because I'm particularly allergic to the maths. Okay, and, and you said there was far too much math on yeah, there, this. There wasn't nearly to, enough language stuff, right, word comparisons. Yeah. It, it is nothing. Right. And you would say you did fairly well on the language arts pieces. The, yeah, those, those, that were those I, I really knew how to answer. Right, okay. Um, and then, I mean, you besides just hating standardized testing, you just hate fucking numbers. Are, are we agreed about this? Like, there were... There were about 15 questions that seemed to be about, like, how much tip you should leave. Right, which, and, we, which we all know is which, an area that stresses me out. Which, exactly. I was just going to say, right, I've, I've had to do the tip for you about seven times since I've been in Colorado, which has been about 48 hours. Anyone I'm eating out with does the tip for me, no matter who they are, or I'll turn to a stranger table. I mean, I'm or happy, I have to do it on my phone. I am happy to let you pay for meals if all I have to do is a little bit of math at the end to that's earn it. it. That's, that's fair with me. Um, but so let us, let us then talk about the numbers. So you scored... But I just want to say one thing about myself and numbers. It's not that I don't really know how to figure out the tip. No, you do. It's that I completely freeze for some reason when numbers are in front of me. It's it's not an unnatural thing, and I think you're not alone in that as far as, you know, I've had students before as well as parents who, when they even hear the word math, their eyes begin running with tears. They're just literally afraid of the concept because even at young ages, even when they don't know much math or, or don't know what to expect in math, they're, they've been told at some point, oh, math is hard. Oh, or wait, math actually, is the worst. I have a story to tell you. Can oh, please. I tell? Okay, wait. When do kids learn um, to add double digits oh, and have to, to carry? carry the one? What grade is that? About second grade. Okay. So somewhere between second, or third. second and third grade during the summer, I forgot how to do that. Sure. And I was called to the board at the very beginning of the school year. Jesus My Christ. teacher asked me to add whatever, 23 and right. 64 or whatever. Right. And there was some carrying involved. Yeah. And I 
added the first column, and then I completely froze. And all my classmates were like, oh, Ellen, stop joking. That, you know how to do this. And I was like, I was, I was super humiliated, but I was proud that they thought they knew how to do it. <laughs> well, and I mean, that's just it. You're like, even the most, like, smartest appearing people can, like, forget these things. They're, I forgot. They're just, yeah, it's a fucking rule that you're supposed to, you know, a procedure that you're supposed to recall. And frankly, it's a really shitty procedure. I want to tell you now that in a lot of cases, that's not happening for kids anymore, the humiliation that you felt in that instance. Well, that's Because good. a lot of kids and, and schools are now doing, uh, are, are breaking the numbers down in a different way where we're not having to carry, but we're instead regrouping uh -huh. as far as tens and ones, right. which is well, a much gentler way to I, approach I would have these had things. to memorize it no matter what, but my teacher at a certain point realized that she needed to call somebody else up to finish it. And I, I didn't, it wasn't the most traumatic experience I had at school, believe me. <laughs> it's way down there on the list. It just, I remember. Uh, so much so that you weren't even going to remember it until we started talking about the Wonderland. Exactly. This, this was never going to come up. All right, but back to, back to scores. So you took, because I'm, I'm not a monster, I did not want you to have to take the 12-minute, 50-question version of this. You took the 25-question, six-minute version of it. And on that... Uh, if we were to extrapolate the numbers out, you scored what would amount on the 20, on the 50, 28. I mean, golf claps for 28. That's already better than myself, uh, Tony from the Bronx. Uh, I think even uh, well, your Julian husband. did better, though. I think even your husband scored a 27. So, oh, all right, uh, you well, know. yay for me. Now, you had a little bit of help. Tiny I mean, bit. a tiny bit of help um, just to keep you on track. Um, but... Uh, really, golf claps all all around. Now, I do want to mention that you know the point of this is not to humiliate my co-hosts. In fact, the point of this is uh, to show just how fucking stupid these tests can be and unimportant these tests can be. I myself getting a twenty-seven, pretty embarrassing score. Uh, Dazzling Diana just took the test the other day. Do you want to know what she scored? What'd she score? She scored a twenty-three. That's um, that's ridiculous. And she again had the She's same dazzling. note. She again had the same note that you had, which was it's so much fucking math. Like there's not enough time to work the problems out on pencil and paper, you know, and still answer all the questions. So, again, our point here is not to embarrass anybody, but to say these tests were how we once considered people for jobs for employment. Right? This was an aptitude test for, for employment. That's how it was used? That's how it was used. It was meant to be used in the workplace. Wow. I mean, did you ever take one no, of those I've tests in taken. school that, you know, that said at the end of it, like, oh, you would be especially skilled for a position in X? Um, I didn't take it in school. I took it as part of something I was studying. So what did you take? Um, well, I've taken a, a lot of those things, but they weren't necessarily... Well, I mean, I've taken things like the Myers-Briggs. That's completely different. Well, that's different. That's yeah, different. yeah. Um, but another but famously inaccurate test. I, 
Oh, actually, see, I love the Myers-Briggs. Well, I love the Myers-Briggs for its concept, but it doesn't have nearly the the gradation that it actually needs. It's a black and white test. Well, what do you do You're, with it is really Well, yeah, I, you don't do anything with it, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you it's could fun in concept. But nobody ever does it. You only end up doing it for fun. I took something that had, like, you you have the aptitude for this, that, or the other thing, and I can't remember what it was. Well, do you know why, My, do you know why Myers and Briggs actually came up with the test? Why? Well, so uh, uh, according to Lore, um, and I'm going to forget who's first and who's second, but I believe Myers uh, was the matriarch of the family. And her daughter, who later became Briggs, Mm -hmm. that's where the Briggs comes in, her daughter one day brought home some strange guy whose last name was Briggs, and nobody in the family could understand this guy. They just thought he was the strangest thing that they had ever come across. And basically, Mama Bear wanted to figure out how can we categorize this thing? How can we identify this thing which is so other to us? And like, essentially, how can we like keep it away from us in the future? And so she developed. Wait, this was a way that she was trying to dissuade her daughter from marrying. I don't think so. I don't think it was necessarily that, but it was more like she found this curious. She found him to be a curious case and wanted other people to recognize. Uh, she wanted to somehow classify it and understand what was so curious about it. So anyway, the, the, the story is that's how she conceived of the test. And then once her daughter was married to this Person. clown, um, they they worked together to really codify it. And and as such, what we what we come away with is this really whack understanding of personality where you're only allotted, what is it? I think eight potential personalities. No, no, there's four, there's four main types. There's and four types, there's and for each one... of all of those. It's a type indicator. No, for, each one, for each one, there's, an, there's a, a left or a right. Right, okay, but it's, it's ways in which you approach the world. So it's not really personality. Well, that's what, that's what personality was defined as back then. It was ways in which you approach the world. So anyway, what's funny that, that you're telling me that Myers-Briggs is, had to do with partnering is that somebody who I used to work with like 40 years ago used to, a, a master's level psychologist, do the Myers-Briggs for people as a wedding present. Oh. Okay. Like he would do this whole analysis. He would, do, he would give of, them the of Myers-Briggs. Each couple, of, of each couple. Of each partner. member of the, co- yeah, of the yes. partnership. Yes. Okay. To help them see how the other viewed the world. But now is, I mean, I, I assume sort of like horoscopes, there already are better couplings than others as Myers-Briggs is concerned, right? That like two, two IKG, you know, what, what are the, what are the, what are the initials? There's introvert, extrovert, there's judgment no, and that non-judgment. judgment and perception are at the end. Ju- right. Um, there's, well, I'm a E. N F J and your father is a I N F J. Okay, so we only differ in the introversion the intro- and the right, extroversion right, 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 right. part of it, which is kind of interesting. Which we, which makes sense, right? And I think which I we think didn't that, know until pretty recently. But I, I think that some people, you know, some people who work with the Myers Briggs, I don't know who those people might be, but would say like, oh yeah, well if you're both extroverts and you're both 
judgmental, then you're going to have a problem because this, that, and the other is going to creep up on okay, you. Okay, but it's not, the J is not about judgmental. It's actually, well, it, I, it's just, I, but this is a big misperception and guys, great. Google it, okay? Great. Because I don't want to spend any more time on it. But the <laughs> J and P at the end, judging and perceiving, is not so much that people with a J are judgmental. Actually, they complete tasks more frequently than the other one. Okay. But it's, it's interesting. And in more recent years, I've only seen it used as part of work teams. Right. To understand kind of your colleagues and how you right. work as a team. Right. But nobody ever really uses it. It's just kind of like a fun break. Yeah. No, and in, in that way, it's also used, I think, in a lot of like motivational settings, right? To understand how, how people work and how you yourself might interact in a workplace environment. Right, but others. I've taken it, I think, three times, and I've come out the same every time over probably a period of 30 years. I mean, I think that's the way, that's the way they would have it, right? Yeah. That's the way a standardized test should be, yeah. is that you should always come out with the same, right? Just like taking, uh, you know, the, uh, Prince, uh, what is it, Princeton, I always forget. What's the actual name for the IQ test? I don't know. It's the, you got to call your wife. Whatever, I got to call wife of the pod. Um, but anyway, they they want your IQ to always come out the same. Right. Otherwise the test is flawed. Right. Um, but we're not here to talk about testing either. No, well, no, no but I mean, you know, the wonder thing led to The wonder that, thing. So. Yeah, the wonder thing, exactly. The wonder years led to, you know, talking about numbers and testing. But I being that we are in Colorado, being that we are in the bunker, I did want to uh, update you on a recent story in Colorado news. Uh, that you might not be familiar with, but this one is hot off the presses. And that is, uh, I have the headline here from Chalkbeat, chalkbeat.org. Worried about enrollment, some Colorado school districts are suing to prevent cross-district busing. So six school districts and the associations that represent them are suing to stop a change in Colorado law that could increase access to school choice, but that was approved under questionable circumstances. So essentially what happened was in the last legislative session, there was a bill on the table to allow for busing between districts to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Any school, any, any child in Colorado can choose, any child and parent can choose where they want their children to go to any school as long as that school has room for them. Okay. But what the state doesn't do is the state doesn't provide transportation if you're going between districts. Oh, well. Which makes sense on some level because if they did, then they would literally be busing kids, you know, hours out of the way. And that's a cost going directly to the taxpayers, right? In another way, and this is what the reverse argument would be, it is intentionally a barrier to stop uh, school choice, to limit school choice. Because for certain families, they wouldn't be able to provide their own transportation between districts. So you're basically saying, all right, you can go to that school if you want, but good luck fucking getting there because we're not going to help Although you. a bunch of parents could get together and hire a van service. Yeah, carpooling, hire a van, et cetera. Like right. but, but, but when you look at choice in other areas, in other states, like choice in New York. Well, let's not do choice in New York because okay. that's going to be a totally different right, thing okay. than, than anywhere okay, else. Okay, so go back but to this let's choice go back in to, Colorado. Okay, so let's go back to what actually happened. So that bill was voted down. Okay. Okay, so it was, it was decided, no, we're not going to provide 
busing between districts. Right. So unhappy with that, a certain Republican state senator by the name of Owen Hill decided to take the language from that dead bill and attach it to a bill that he knew was going to be passed. And the bill that he knew was going to be passed was about foster children. And it was essentially a way of enabling foster children to continue going to the same to their home-based school even if their foster circumstances should change, right? So mm. you're going to you're going to you the hill, foster homes. You're going to the Springfield school, but then your foster parents in Springfield, you know, something happens and you wind up going to the Colbert County, you know, foster parents. This bill allows foster students to continue going to that school in order to help them graduate, which as we know, foster students have a particularly difficult time given their home circumstances with graduation rates. They are among the lowest, you know, group, you know. Okay, I'm taking Um, your word on it. You're going to take my word for it, of course. So anyway, he adds this bill. He adds this language from that, from the dead bill to this bill in which he somehow skirts it and makes it that everybody can get bussed. And everybody has to get bussed wherever the fuck they want to go. So it's a pretty shitty move. I mean, it's one that politicians make all the time, right? Yeah. Sometimes you call a bill like that a Christmas tree bill, right? Because you just hang amendments on it like yeah. fucking ornaments. Yeah. But so the reason why the school's districts are suing this is obviously because he did a dirty fucking tactic and nobody wants this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the schools, schools have already made it clear they don't want this. And I think it's safe to say why they don't want this because besides being a cost to the schools, which are already taxed as far as costs go, right? We're not we're not getting a lot of funding out here. Right. Um they they don't want to be encouraging school choice because they'd rather be encouraging people to stay in their districts and make those schools better. The point should be about making all schools better, not just making it easier for some people to get to a better school because then all you're going to have is right, you're going to have people... magnet schools where everybody wants to go but there's no room and then shitty schools where nobody wants to go but they have public to. education is supposed to be public and good for everybody it's supposed to be equitable yeah and in order to have equity you you have to have a balance it's it's not about choice in fact choice is the problem and i choice think choice has become a problem but choice is such a is a word that is extremely appealing in many areas. Well, of course, and I think that people people in America tend to view, tend to equate freedom and choice. Exactly. But those, they're not synonymous, and they're not the same thing. Having freedom doesn't always mean having the freedom to choose. And often, actually from the words of, uh, I believe it was Eric Fromm, choice is oppressive. Choice is actually the opposite of freedom. I know you've gone into a restaurant before and looked at a menu and gone, oh, I don't know, there's too many fucking choices here. Choice is the worst. And if you knew that every option was a good option, you wouldn't have to choose. See? Well, that's not... I go into a restaurant and say there aren't enough choices for vegetarians (laughs) here. That's different. Yes, but but that's because you've already made that choice. I've made a choice. You've already made a conscious choice that limits you and makes it easier on you, really. I mean, that's, that's how I go into these situations. Well, I, yeah. I don't even think about it anymore. Well, so right. I mean, okay. But you're right. But a limiting people's choice sounds very, you know, socialist to people. Well, right. And, and, you're and I'm glad that you quality. said that because social, socialism itself has a dirty connotation right. in the country, even though really, you know, 
all that it means is like everybody gets a fair shake. I was raised as a socialist. So right. I, 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 yes, I understand. But it's a difficult concept because because Americans automatically think, well, that that is our country, right? Our constitution already says we all have a fair shake, even though we know that there are amendments in the constitution that directly contradict that. that as, as as well as other things that have happened. As well as other things that have happened, right? You know, societally, yes. Because it's not a socialist country. Because it's not a socialist country, right? And for various other reasons. But yeah, it does look at it does look like socialism. While while we're on this subject, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna spit some logic at you. So, um, you earlier today were quoting some Einstein at me. Do you remember that quote that um, we, we tried to attribute to him? And maybe it's right, maybe it's not. Yeah, I might get it backwards, Go but for it's it. something like uh, everything that can be counted, everything that counts. Everything can, that counts cannot be counted. Cannot be counted and. Everything and not that, everything, not that, everything can be that can counted be counted counts. counts. Not, right. ev- not everything that can be counted counts. Right. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also paraphrase uh, an Einstein quote, which was uh, something along the lines of, any idiot can make things more complicated, but true genius comes out of making things simple. Okay? I like it. So now... I, I think it's safe to say that everybody has made education fairly complicated in this country, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially the government, especially the federal government. Um, but somebody out there, once upon a time, made education very simple. And he's actually very famous for making a lot of things simple. And his name is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, okay. the, the trillionaire. Mm-hmm. Now, Warren, you know, who we know once said to his secretary, like, I, I really don't understand why you pay more taxes than me. And that's mm-hmm. how we decided, you know, the flat tax would have been the actual way to go instead of, you know, what we have, which is bullshit. Um, but Warren was once asked a question about education. And his response to it went along the lines of, look, I'm going to make this very simple for you guys. The way to solve all public education would be this. You eliminate all choice. And everything becomes a lottery. And everybody has to go to the school that they are assigned, even if the school is not in their district. And you would be provided with transportation to all those schools. And what this would do, in effect, let's say, let's say we take Scarsdale, New York, for example. Scarsdale, New York, which historically is one of the best performing districts for public education in the country. I mean, it's outrageous. Having looked it up, automatically by being a Scarsdale student, in public school, you are, gar- you are basically guaranteed to have, on average, a higher SAT score on every level of the SATs by at least 100 points. Mm-hmm. So me getting a 600 on math and a 700 on English in, in New York City, if I went to Scarsdale, I'd get a 700 and 800. And that's just the way that is. Now, if those students were instead forced to go into a lottery and then bus to the Yonkers public schools and the Yonkers public school students were bused to Scarsdale, you would see what we're talking about. You would see equity across the board because now there would be this commingling of socioeconomic backgrounds and all of that would bring up, you know, bring up the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And the top would stay where it is, right? Well, because people, we know people, people with- who are in the top think that you're depriving their children of something and you're bringing their children And they're wrong. I mean, because people on the top are stupid. I agree. I know that people on the top are fucking ignorant and all they they care about is protecting Johnny, 
right? Because they think that Johnny being around the, the lower population is going to bring him down. But in fact, it's not. Because what's bringing Johnny up isn't being around other pieces of shit like Johnny. It's having an affluent background. And that's not changing. Right. All we're saying is that where he goes to school is going to change for six hours a day. That's all. But the schooling itself isn't going to change because when you're, when you're busing people to different districts, the schooling is going to get better everywhere. It's going to get better in those areas that we think aren't as good. No, because I, I agree. Because I the just... schools and the teachers are already doing the job. It's a fact of the, the children aren't necessarily getting what they need already at those schools. But, you know, I, I agree with you, okay? But in New York City right now, sure, isn't there a movement to do this in some districts and parents are going crazy? Yeah, and, again, because but parents there, but are it's idiots. Ha- it is happening, though, isn't it? It is absolutely yeah. happening. Yes, so it's, we'll, it's happening on the District Upper West Street, Side of Manhattan. Right. Yes. Yeah, and parents are in a tizzy. And guess what? It's going to keep fucking happening. It's going to keep happening whether parents are in a tizzy or not because it's not up to parents. And... That's, that's just the way that is. If they, if they choose to take their kids out, look, a lot of people are making the choice to, to homeschool because they don't like... Homeschooling is so big that there's... Homeschooling's stuff, very big. There are apps you can buy yeah. to homeschool your kids. There are t- television commercials about homeschooling. It's actually very scary. It is. I agree. But if, if I mean, they... people used to just opt out to go to either a parochial school, mm-hmm. a religious school, or a private school. Right. Only rich people could go to private schools. Right. And only people who were religious in whatever stripe would want to send their children to a religious school. It's funny you should mention parochial schools because parochial schools are actually the reason why we have a lot of the issues over choice, over school choice in America that we have. Because of payment because, of the schools. Right. Payment, because of payment of the schools. Funding for the schools. Funding for the schools. Right. And all of those rules were established in the 1930s and 40s when when churches were deciding, you know, there aren't enough places for our for our flock to go that are recognizing, you know, the word of God. Yeah, but then the important rule about separating church and state, separation. Yeah, oh, what's that one? What is that rule? I don't know. What is that? Is that in the Constitution? (laughs) Something like that. Something like that, sure. Which amendment now? We don't know. It's not about knowing. It's about knowing that it exists, It exists. It exists. Separation of church and and state exists. Um, Right, but they found a way around that. So, you know, kudos to them. They also found a way around taxes, so you know they're just getting it all done. Those so fucking sneaky. churches. Um, but look, we're gonna we're gonna jump off that for the moment, mm-hmm. and we're gonna come back in a moment with um, another edition of the Snack Report. We're also going to have Mother of the Pod Ellen announce the long-awaited Snack Bracket winner, and more on the other side. Talk to you soon. In the Dolcran's world, snacks of a most unique and often disturbing nature are handled by an elite group of snack reporters. The dedicated commentators tasked with discussing these abominations are known as the Dollboys. These are their stories. And we are back. I, of course, am uh, Gabriel Zuger, along with Mother of the Pod, Ellen, here recording from the bunker to bring you a very special edition of the Snack Report. Uh, so before we get into the snack of the day, um, it 
it has been decided that we are closing the balloting, uh, closing the polls on the snack bracket. If you recall, uh, we did open the choice to you, the loyal audience at home, as to which snack would win the coveted title of the first annual snack bracket championship. Now, the choices were between um, first two first two number one seeds, so chalk all the way, um, one being the Smart Food White Cheddar Popcorn, much beloved for generations. Love it. Um, and the Fig and Honey Triscuit. Uh, you know, Triscuit, obviously, everybody knows Triscuit, but this was this was a gamble that they took on Fig and Honey, and I think it's safe to say by, by the results that it's one that paid off. It made it all the way to the final round. Um, so we had a lot of voting coming into us at dullcrans at gmail.com. Um, those votes have been tallied, and uh, we are going to have um, Ellen, mother of the pod, reveal the winner of the first ever snack bracket. Now, you, Ellen, you yourself had a vote in this, if I recall. I recall, I, I recall I voted, coming across. I, I know what I voted for. You know what you voted for. So yeah. would you tell the audience what you voted I for? I voted for the Triscuit. And that is, in fact, this year's winner. So I'm so much, excited. much cheering and applause should go to Triscuit, Big and Honey Triscuit, and to you, Ellen, for, you know, selecting a winner, because we all love backing a winning horse, right? I mean, I have to say, I love them both. Yes. I, uh, there's there's no question about it. These were two of the favorites by everybody on the, uh, you know, the Council for American Confections, uh, which, of course, judges the snack bracket. But, you know, the Triscuit, really, it's not just flavor, it's it's the mess, you know, like yeah, yeah, I'm it's the dusty you, goodness. You yeah, know, it's like yeah, and and the Triscuit you can use. To, it's got versatility, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and look, we've uh, at this point we've tried pretty much all the Triscuit flavors that are out there, and it's it's not just that it is itself a great flavor; it's also that it's absolutely you know just blowing every other Triscuit out of the water, right? The other yeah, Triscuits can't flavor. hold a fucking candle. Actually, there's a couple it. of them that I can't even stand. Oh no, there's there's tons I that I won't them. eat. I won't yeah. buy them ever right. again. And 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 sometimes it's because the flavor is so heinous to me, and other times it's really just because for some reason they get the dusting wrong on them. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about dusting, and if you're if you're if you're inconsistent in your dusting, especially across flavor profiles, you're gonna get axed. I mean, well, so, I'm happy that I voted for the winner. Yeah, again, we should always be happy that we pack winners, and we hope that you'll consider that when you vote in 2020. Um, you know, pick pick a pick a strong horse, really. Um, Kidding, of course. Uh, but all kidding aside, we do have a new snack for the day, and this is one I had never seen before in stores, and I was very excited to purchase it. Uh, Ellen, would you read that snack for us? This is the Gardetto's Special Requ Request Garlic Rye Chips. So Gardetto's makes this a garlic chip, or sorry, I should say, Gardetto's makes a rye chip. And this is a an offshoot of that. This is the garlic and rye chip. Now, many of you will be familiar with this as a staple in Chex Mix. This is the round coin. It's sort of a dollar-sized, silver dollar-sized coin um, that is brown in color. Oh, is this, that one is probably a little bit smaller, but is it the same thing? It is exactly the same thing. Oh. And this is the reason that I bought this bag, which after about 12 hours uh, of purchasing it, the bag was nearly gone. 
this report almost didn't come to you because we were eating it so quickly, just gobbling it down. So tell us about this snack, Ellen. Uh, this stuff is so good, and I have to say that when I first looked at one of these little brown coins, basically, yep. I was afraid that it might break my teeth. Right. Because no, there's a stale look to it. A right? very stale look to it, right. and I was like, oh, God, right. this is going to be horrible. Right. But it is, they're, they're quite addicting. Oh, absolutely. Super yeah. tasty. Super tasty. Great you crunch. Pop them in your mouth. Yep. Really now, you, good. You were even using them as scoops at one point. I was. Into a, a fish salad. So, like, they... Versatile. Versatile. Sturdy. Again, always works. Now, for me, I have a personal history with these um, because working in pre-K and in preschools, you know, we would, from time to time, give out Chex Mix as a snack. And I would make it known to the class that I was a big fan of what I called the pumpernickel coin. Because I thought it was pumpernickel. I mean, that's, that's what, what it looks like. Do, do they sell this on the East Coast? I've never seen it on the right. East Coast. I've it, only seen a... it in the vicinity of the bunker. Exactly. Um, but so I referred to it as pumpernickel coin. I, I, I would make my class aware of my favorite as I would ask them about what their favorites were. You know, what's your favorite thing in the Chex Mix? Oh, it's the pretzel. Oh, it's this. Um... But so I would have, as a result, not because I requested it, but I would just have kids who didn't like their, their uh, Gardetto's, uh, you know, garlic and rye chip. I would have kids offering them to me, just bringing me cups at the end of snack, <laughs> cups with just the Gardetto's oh, at the bottom Zuber of it. Likes and it's really sweet. I mean, that's just, that's just you know, genuineness out of, out of the goodness of their four-year-old hearts. Um, but so these are an absolute hit. We, we absolutely give these, you know... 10 crayons up or, you know, whatever the fucking scoring system is for us here. These um, have been made since these 19... These are very sharp crayons. 32. Since 1932. I know. There's there's a, even a short history about the Gardetto family, you know, and a, and a picture on the front that looks like, you know, it sort of looks like a, a B-side from, or, or something something found on the cutting room floor from, uh, like, The Godfather 2 or something. You almost expect to see Robert De Niro somewhere in the background of this picture, you know, walking around the streets of New York. Totally, I agree. Um, but so that's that's the snack report for today. A great snack if you can find Gardetto's rye and garlic chips, rye, garlic and rye chips, yeah, go get them. Go get a bag. Go get 10 bags because they will go fast. Um, and with that, we're going to bring you another news story. Um, this one, not so, uh, not so recent. Uh, this is coming from April 26, 2018. But, you know... As we say in our family, an oldie but a goodie. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so this is coming from popsugar.com, okay? And the title, the headline is, This preschool banned the term best friend. Would you react like this, Mom? So, Mother, that's going to be the question for you when reading this article. Would you react like this, Mom? Okay, Christine Hartwell, a mom from Georgetown, Massachusetts, is looking for a new preschool after her four-year-old daughter, Julia, was told by teachers at Pentucket workshop preschool, she couldn't use the term best friend to refer to another student in her class. According to Boston 25 News, Julia came home from school visibly upset after she was reprimanded by a teacher for using the phrase, and her mom is completely outraged. Now we're going to work on the language of this later because a reprimand was not administered. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay. Um, quote, how do you police a four-year-old from expressing their feelings? It's outrageous. It's silly and it hurts, she said. When I asked her what was wrong, she said she was really sad that about what her teacher did that day. 
Christine and her husband asked the school staff why the term was banned. So what she did that day, what what obviously what the daughter did that day was go Refer around talking about best, best friend, friend, best friend, best friend, best friend. And the teachers said, actually, we don't use the term best friend here, right? It's not a reprimand, but clearly that's what happened. It's word policing. Uh, it is word policing, but let's get to this. Okay. So... Christine and her husband asked the school staff why the term was banned, considering it's not an official rule in the handbook. Okay, so they read the that handbook. That was going to be my question, question though. Was it banned in the handbook? Well, okay, and we can, we'll, we'll get to okay, that in a moment. Okay. The director of Pentucket Workshop Preschool issued the Hartwell family a letter with the following explanation as to why they discourage children from using the phrase. Discourage, discourage not okay. ban. Mm -hmm. It has been our experience, which spans decades, that the use of the term best friend, even when used in a loving way, can lead other children to feel excluded, which can ultimately lead to the formation of cliques and outsiders. For Julia's mom, the school's response wasn't good enough. I want her to be able to express her thoughts and feelings in a healthy way, as children should. And that's where the article ends. But so we know, as a result, she took her kid out of this preschool and is looking for another preschool. Is she looking for another? picture of a kid, too. No, but what, what, why do you say her kid is a bitch? I, I think her kid is obviously a bitch. because why? Well, okay, so let's, okay, so let's walk we it back. We might disagree on this. Go okay, ahead. so let's, so let's walk it back. All right. Okay, so let's, I'm going to imagine this classroom. And maybe I'll be fair and maybe I'll be unfair in imagining this classroom. But again, you noted it's not an official rule in the handbook. Probably because... Some teachers may agree with it, and some classrooms may use it, and some teachers well, may not Well, it's a ridiculous it. thing to write policy on. Right. Of, well, of course it's a ridiculous thing to write policy on, but also, right, because there would be disagreement in it, you also wouldn't want to have it there anyway. Exactly. Right, because some teachers wouldn't police it then, and, and then you can't have inequity right there. You can't right. have difference there. Oh, in my classroom, I can say best friend all I want, na 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 right? Okay, so, so it's not an official rule. So this teacher... Here's this girl going around saying, and this is April, so remember that. So this has been going on for a while, we'll say. Okay. Okay? I'm, uh, again, I'm assuming. Okay. But I'm assuming that she's been in school at least since January. It's preschool. She could have signed up half year, but at least since January. But maybe and September. And maybe this has been done, uh, maybe September, so maybe even longer. Right. And they probably established at some point in the beginning of this term, whatever term it was, hey, guys, we don't use the term best friend here because it can lead to some hurt feelings. Okay. And it's exclusionary. Okay. okay. So they establish that, and then this girl keeps flouting the rules and going around going, best friend, best friend, You're best my best friend, friend. Best you're friend. my best friend, right. you're my best friend, you're my best friend. Now, if she had said it once or twice, I'm sure there wouldn't be what, what this mother is calling a reprimand or what this article is calling a reprimand. I'm sure there would have been a reminder, right? Hey, by the way, Julia, we don't we don't actually use best friend, remember? Like you can share that you love this person, right? But to say best friend is, you know, closing the door on other things and is is it is exclusionary. By definition, it is exclusionary because it is saying that one person is held on a pedestal above all other friends. Got it. Okay. So if she says it once or twice, I'm sure the teachers are like, hey, just a reminder, blah, blah. But again, I'm assuming she's a little fucking bitch. And she's going around saying it all the fucking time. No, but time she's using it as currency. It. That's what... She, okay. Exactly. But that's, and that's a fucking bitch-ass move. Okay, now I understand where you're coming from. Okay. And the mom is so, a bit... And, and listen, I'm also assuming she's a little bitch because of the way mom reacted. 
because mom said is well, instead her. of talking no not just defending her she's she's completely disregarding the school's ideas and thoughts altogether of exclusion and, instead, and inclusion and right. instead of talking to the school about it and instead of you know, working with them okay. she's deciding fuck you i'm going to opt out okay but let's let's just you know peel this onion in let's a different peel. way okay let's get to the so bottom so i totally get that there could be a girl or boy in a small girl or boy in a classroom using you're my best friend today and you're my best friend today as we currency see it all the time and it's Girls nasty and boys, and it's, it's nasty. nasty okay but the term she's my best friend he's my best friend isn't that your best friend that's like a whole other thing and what about bff and what about you know well bff is obviously even worse but it's just a thing. It's not... Doesn't... And, and, and in the way that it's just a thing, and I, I want to announce to the audience that you were using air quotes even around thing. Yes. Because that's how, how you want to distance yourself from this as being <laughs> yes. important at all, because it's not. Just in the way that it's a quote-unquote thing, it doesn't matter. And, and the school is certainly not saying, you want to call this language police or maybe even thought police... Or this mom wants to call it feelings police, right? She wants to say that you're 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 policing my daughter's feelings. Got it. But that's not in fact what the case is. No. The case is, hey, we just don't want to hear it at school. They can be your best friend. And this is I hope that the teachers and the administration were making this clear. Listen, listen, Julia, you fucking little bitch. Sally can be your best friend. We we want you to know that. And Sally does think you're her best friend. Okay. And there's data that proves it because you've had more play dates with Sally right. than with any other child. So go home and say these things on your play dates. Go home and say these things on your vlog. Go home and, and write BFF all over your Instagram account. Right. Just don't say it at school, you stupid little girl. And I think that's at the heart of this too, is that this child is showing poor executive functioning if the teachers are saying all of these things and she's still coming home and she's still coming to school and just going, BFF, BFF, BFF. I mean, I'd probably kick them out of school. I wouldn't even let them, I wouldn't even let this family leave. I'd fire them. I mean, I I just, I, I, yeah, I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, I don't recall ever referring to any of your friends as your best friend, even if they were the friend that you had at the moment and they seemed more important to you. I recall at many times in my life, many, having a friend that was more important to me, but I had other friends. And as an adult, I recall another adult asking me if somebody was my best friend. It's too long a story to go into. And I said, I have many very close friends. Yeah. I'm an adult. Right, you're an adult. But even as a child, I had many close friends. Right. Uh, listen, I don't, I don't even have, like you're saying, as an adult, I don't have best friends today. Now I have what my wife refers to as boyfriends. You know, <laughs> That's a I whole spend, different thing. If I spend too much time with somebody or too much time texting a friend, he becomes my new boyfriend. Right. Which I think is just like how women will say, oh, my girlfriend. Right. You know, like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's somebody that you're very close to, right? Right somebody now. that you're, you know, right now, exactly. Somebody that you're texting on a daily basis right now, but those things do change. Anyway, the point is, best friend is a whack term. But I think that children as well outlawed, as adults can have more than one really close friend. Yeah, but that's the thing, is best friend doesn't say that. And, and that's the thing about the word best, actually, right? Because children, and this is a fact, especially in preschools, 
children are always looking for superlatives, right? right? They want best. Right. They want to be the best. They want to be the fastest. They want to be the strongest, the smartest. They want their opinions to be the best, right? Well, dogs are the best. That's an opinion. So right. shut your fucking mouth, right? Right, right? But children don't understand that. And this is the thing that I'm sure the school was trying to get at too, but maybe they didn't do a great job of explaining it. So I'm going to give, you know, I'll give everybody a pass on this. They probably didn't do a great job of explaining it. Right. But best in all contexts is the worst because it excludes everything else as being even valid in the conversation. But And the other part of this is, is, is that not everything is a competition. No, nothing. In fact, very few things are competitions, very especially few things in school. But right. so to make friendship a competition is the most really fucked painful. up thing you can do. Really to painful. make love a competition. You don't have teachers going around saying, that's my best student. What if you had a teacher? What if that teacher yeah, yeah. Even well, honestly, went around saying, what a, that's my best student, that's my favorite student, well, that's the fastest student. But Gabriel, student. that in that my used day to used to happen. I know it did. Teacher's pet. I know it did. You teacher's know. pet. And also there were superlatives given out, I believe, at, you know, graduation, right? In 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 yearbooks, no. right? Yes, there were. Superlative you were voted upon, right? I you know what? Class I, clown. The, no, I didn't do stuff like the, that, so whatever. Well, it happened. No, okay. okay. I mean but shit that um, we wouldn't stand so, for today. Uh, honestly, shit that we honestly wouldn't stand for today, like no, class pet. I, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just back up teacher's a second. Teacher's pet. In high school, I really prided myself on being the pet of some teachers, but it didn't mean they didn't also love other people. Of course not. They loved me for something it in particular. Honestly, honestly, and also, class pet didn't even mean the teacher loved. Well, you it's not the class most. pet. It's teacher's, sorry, teacher's pet. pet. Sorry, teacher's pet. Sorry, teacher's pet didn't mean the teacher loved you the most. It actually just meant you were the most up their ass of <laughs> any other student. It's the way you and, perceived and it. I, it's the way you perceived it. I was teacher's pet for plenty of my elementary school. But teachers. it's the way some of your peers perceived it be, too. Well, right, but there can be. But but to that end, there can also be more than one teacher's pet. Exactly. That's pets. what us narcissists didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not all about me. Um, but anyway, uh, going going from that, which you know, again, we can have our own feelings about it. Whatever, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't, I don't think policing language to uh, to such a degree that you know. I think evolving language is different than there. policing like, language. Yeah, sure, um, exactly. I think we have to consider consider all sides, and I think that that's what this school failed to do, and I think that this parent failed to do that. And I think in the case well, of the no, parent, they the failed parent, to do it a lot more. The parent we've discounted. The well, school right, just needs some work on this. They need some work on this, absolutely. So they need some work on their language. Uh, but going from that preschool experience, uh, we're going to take you to another preschool experience. Cool. Um, which is, in fact, my own preschool experience. I so know something about it. We're going to take you back to the 90s, uh, to 1993, specifically in a segment I'd like to call uh, Back to School with Gaby Baby. Okay. Okay. Uh, as I was referred to back then. Um, um, so this is my, this is my report card, we shall say, from my kindergarten class. This is June of 1993. Okay. My teacher, Yvonne. You were four. Preschool? 1993, right, I was, okay. Uh, in 1993, I was four, Ellen? I, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> in 1993, I would have been five. Five. Okay. Okay. Five. Sorry. Okay. In June of 93. Okay. So... Uh, now, this school that Yvonne worked at, we should say Central Park East 1, very progressive school uh, in Manhattan, um, they gave as report cards, um, there were uh, some checklists, but then also 
a pretty extensive narrative included, right. okay, in which several things were handwritten and explained by each teacher for each student. Okay, so this coming out of my strengths, special interests, and you know whatever uh, was Yvonne's assessment of that year for Gaby. Okay, Gabriel has grown as a block builder, painter, and cook this year. His focus in clay, animal study, drawing, and writing seemed to be to document and make permanent his thoughts and experiences. Pretty standard. Accurate. Pretty accurate. Uh, you know, school was standard. big on okay. school was big on block building and clay and cooking, so you know, I was fitting right in along there. During the winter and spring, Gabriel worked regularly with Miss Piggy and Fred. Now, I have we have to take from context that those were the class guinea pigs that we had named Miss Piggy and Fred. Okay. Okay. He dictated stories about what her or the person he had worked with did. So what Miss Piggy had did or what the person I was working with did. Okay. Okay. In talking with me about his work, he often said, I wanted to see what would happen if dot, dot, dot. Now this to me, reading it as an adult is a very dangerous prospect because that sounds like a student's going like, I wanted to see what would happen if I stabbed her with this pencil. I mean, really, were you experimenting on these <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. I wanted to see what would happen if I squeezed her so hard that, you know, her eyes bulged out. I mean, you know, I think in, in their sense, and look, it was a, an inquiry-based education, which, you know, very, very good education uh, coming out of that and very constructivist. Um, they pride themselves on that sort of thing, right? What what would happen if, right? Asking questions. That when mm-hmm. children ask Asking questions, questions right. they get the best experience out of it. So apparently I was doing that in my experimentation with Miss fucking Piggy. Um, we're going to skip ahead. In his memory book, which I already love. Now, I, I hear a lot of journal usage in preschool. Memory book is the best name for a journal I've ever heard because it's like, Hey, you know, like whatever your memory is, like you, you know, you draw that shit. A lot of kids get anxiety around the journaling. Anyway, in his memory book, he drew a picture of several of his old toys. Gabriel seemed interested in having a record of these things that he could keep with him now. Can you pause for a minute? Oh, no, I, I intend to pause for several minutes while oh my you expand God. on Gabriel it. loved his old toys so much that if I see them now at a yard sale or a rummage sale, or a flea market, I will purchase them. You will actually purchase new toys for a 30-year-old man because, that they are reminiscent. You, because they remind you of his toys when he was four. Exactly. Okay, and now can we, can we also talk to the extensiveness of my toy collection, even at the age of four? Okay, so even at the age of four, Gabriel, <laughs> I don't know, he had more toys than were necessary, but... At a little older age, there was a T-shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Which you saw at a street fair. And almost got for you. Almost bought for me. It was surely an adult-sized T-shirt yes. that you almost bought for but your seven-year-old because of the message that exactly. was inherent in it. Because Gabriel used to say, will you buy me that later? Okay, yes. And we would say, yeah, we'll buy it for you later. Well, that that was what I was taught to say. Because before, will you buy me that later, it was, buy me that toy, buy me that toy, buy me that toy. And as, right. I, as I, if I'm recalling correctly, somebody taught me the phrase, buy me that later. Or, we or would somehow say, it was developed. Or we'll, we would yes, say, we'll would buy say. it for you later. So then it evolved to my understanding of, later will always come. So I'm just going to say, buy me that later. Yeah, and then instead. at one point, his brother said to him, do you understand 
that when they say we will buy you that later, they mean they'll never buy it for you. And Gabriel said, that's okay as long as they say it. That's okay. As long as they say yes, they'll buy me that later. Right. That's all I needed. It's just affirmation, baby. Affirmation. A lot of toys. A lot of toys. Uh, We're also going to get to another toy story later, but we we can save that for now. Uh, So continuing here. Uh, and, and obviously, I would want to draw toys at school and keep a record of my toys. You've got to document your toys. You've got to document your fucking toys. Because if you're not thinking about your toys all the time, what do they mean to you? Uh, so Gabriel has also continued to be an active and thoughtful block builder. His building towards the end of the year began to focus on interiors. There were doorways, halls, and interior rooms that were realistic. He also began to, He also had begun to try to put windows in. His buildings were often decorated with colored blocks, symmetrically and well-balanced. I mean, I think Yvonne was trying to get at that I was a really good interior decorator here, <laughs> which even in 1993 had certain connotations associated with it. No, that. I mean, I think it's unusual to go into the kind of detail that you went into in your blocks. I guess so. I, yeah, I mean, I don't. before that, I'd only been working on shells. Well, and mostly just, like, sitting it's just in my structures, I'm sure. How high can I how make this? How high can this? you fucking go, right? Right, of that's course. the beginning. That's the beginning. As we said with superlatives, it's about being the highest, You right? were, But you were evolving into something different. Totally evolving. All right, so we move on to language. So, uh, now again, we would say all of these things are pretty accurate, too, not just, as we, as we mentioned with standardized tests, that these things would, we would still be able to see many of these things into adulthood, Right, that that we saw then, right? Yeah, this is better than you know, the Myers Briggs. This is much better than the Myers Briggs. Right. Absolutely, yeah. it's very accurate, right? I still I still prefer symmetry. I still like a lot of colors and flashiness. You know, I have a sense for how a room should look. You know, and me and you know wife of the pod Pauline can argue about that till the cows come home. All right, yeah, because you might not be right. Because <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm often not fucking right. right, and I can admit that. But I, I do have a sense for how I think it should be. All right, on to language. Gabriel remains a thoughtful and reflective student. Still very thoughtful and reflective. Correct. See, again, this is just all, always the case. His ideas are carefully thought out and articulated. Now, carefully thought out and articulated... Not so much. He talks very slowly. <laughs> no, but he you... He might be a simple child. You used to talk very slowly, and that is not the case anymore. <laughs> okay, well, um, we've begun to see more of Gaby's sense of humor. Now, being non-judgmental, Yvonne is... is being very vague here about how they feel about that sense of humor. Right. We're not sure. Gabriel continued regularly in our class. Uh, Gabriel contributed regularly in our classroom discussions. When Miss Piggy gave birth six weeks ago, Gabriel spoke knowledgeably about nursing babies. Uh, at one point, he seemed surprised at several children's negative reaction to nursing babies. He said quite clearly, uh, shut the fuck up. And get over it, you <laughs> stupid four-year-olds. No, he didn't. But today, he would be very intolerant to that line of thinking. Uh, he said quite clearly that without being able to nurse, the babies couldn't live. I mean, that's just... That but was you just know, the facts. That the facts the is how I deal. Total scientist in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was not emotional. That was just about... That's a scientific fact. Well, right. And But what... No, no, no. But they what don't she, have formula. No, no, no. But see, Yvonne's doing something very carefully here because she she's saying... At one point, he seemed surprised, right? Mm. So what she's what she's really addressing is not so much what I did as how I responded to other people ignoring facts, right? Mm. It's just like when I'm, you know, confronted with, you know, some Republican's agenda to say that, you know, uh, global warming isn't real or doesn't matter, 
Mm-hmm. I do seem surprised that they would like to ignore straight facts, homie. Scientific facts. Scientific facts. Correct. So, yeah. And again, I would be completely intolerant at this point to ignoring facts. Right. All right. Now we get to the good stuff. Okay. This is the last section for us, at least today. Social and behavioral. Gabriel has been a caring, sensitive member of our group for two years. Now, that's not because I was left back in kindergarten. I don't want that to be out no, there. No, they were... They were looped. They were pre-K and kindergarten. Right. This year, as one of the older children, he has worked over time in a supportive manner that helped focus children in animal study, cooking, and math. So good, I was becoming a leader. Rebecca, Conrad, Ruben, and recently Eli remain Gabriel's good friends. Here's the good stuff. He has struggled to maintain his place as Rebecca's best friend. So there's the term. There's best our best friend. friend. There's often a lot of tension and anger as Gabriel tries to be a part of the Conrad, Rebecca, Gabriel triad. You'll recall this triangle oh with, with great ease. Yes. Gabriel has often said that he wishes she would be his only friend. Uh, that he wishes she, yes, that he wishes she would be his only friend. But I think what that's getting at is he wishes she didn't have any other friends except for him. <laughs> exactly. In other words, if I can't have her, no one can. <laughs> right. Um, as, as Gabe is confronted with her friendships with others, he is often frustrated to the point of tears that she doesn't always choose to be alone with him. As we've discussed, Gaby may benefit from being separated from her next year to remove him from a situation that is frustrating. Wait, I have a question. Were you or were you in the same class? I, I think maybe you were separated from I think her. we were separated yeah. for that year. I think that I was... It was a very intense relationship. I was, in, I was in the same class as Conrad, I believe, yes. that year. But that she was sort of put on an island away from us where it couldn't Well, I have a very good picture, actually, of... You, Con, Rebecca, and Margot, and Margot having a fight. Yes. At a um. At a fair. At a yeah fall festival or some kind of spring fair or something mm-hmm. or other, where I'm you familiar. weren't getting your way. Yes, yes, where I wasn't having my way, and right. surely it was because Margot and Conrad were. But you know, stealing I mean, the sunshine from me. But but you were two couples. <laughs> Well, sort of, sort of, like almost in a, a friends kind of way of like two yeah. couples that you know swap back and forth. <laughs> like, yeah, I, mean, I I don't know what the, the dialogue lines weren't was. very clearly drawn. I mean, if it was today, there'd be video of it. But, Absolutely. You know, oh yeah, yeah, there'd be video. On, I, I, you're on wearing YouTube a purple shirt, and your <laughs> cheeks are bright red because you feel so intensely about something. Well, I mean, yeah, just just from reading that, I can sort of see, and and that's I think what I also want to get across here is the way that not only Yvonne knows about this relationship and this dynamic. I mean, again, she's, she's seen it for two years, but even today for a, a teacher to know of the ins and outs of social relationships is, you know, staggering, right? When they're, you know, overwhelmed with mountains of paperwork and statistics and data that they're supposed to actually be sorting through. This is the kind of intel that you want your teacher to have, but, you know, maybe not maybe is not possible anymore but the fact that she knows this and then can also paint such a picture as a sad child standing in the middle of the room crying because three friends are playing and it's not just him on a fucking solo date in the classroom like I'm seeing a picture 
She's doing a really great no, job. No, no. I mean, but I guess the other point is we're, we're talking just about you, Gabriel, but she did this for every kid. That's what I'm saying. Right. She did this. Right. She's doing this for me. Right. And for the other 24 students in the classroom, they are going to have as detailed a report about their friendships and dynamics and what's going on with those. And it's astounding. It's yeah. astounding that she can do that in such a clear and concise way. I mean, the the idea that she... And with accuracy that you would still recall today, right? No, but she's I not mean, just She's not just generalizing. I'm only thinking about my child and right. what his experience was, but, you know, did she write down and document at the end of every... Did she journal everything every day? Did she have graphs? Did she have data? Like, how did she do this? I mean, journaling journaling is a practice in, in teaching um, and, and keeping notes. I, I've heard stories of teachers. Uh, this is a, a favorite practice of mine that I've never been able to implement with any consistency, but of keeping journals around the classroom. Mm. And therefore, you're able to just sit in any part of the classroom and document what's happening there. So mm -hmm. then in the block area, you'd be able to go back to June 3rd and say like, oh, here in the block area, Conrad and Gabriel had a fight and uh, Gabriel took a swing at Conrad with a block because mm -hmm. he was angry about something, you know, from the day before or whatever. And over at the guinea pig area, you'd be able to document like, oh, you know, Margot and Rebecca, you know, fed Miss Piggy a veg, you know, a raw lettuce leaf and they just giggled and squirmed well, over so the joy of it. I mean, yeah, there's lots of ways of observing and reporting these things. And, you know, I think for the burgeoning size of our classrooms, right, and the lack of supports that, you know, it's not, it's not so much the focus for teachers anymore. No, so, I mean, I think that your teacher, Yvonne, shout out to Yvonne. Shout out to Yvonne. Was, like, super remarkable and continues to be, and I... I have another example of that that's broader, but what takes you away these days? We're talking about, you, you know, you were in kindergarten 26 yes. years ago. Yes. What takes you away from this kind of observational assessment? Uh, what takes you away is, is the numbers game, right? What takes you away is data and statistics, right? Because what what we're seeing today after the 26 years where in, in 1993, the pendulum had swung towards progressiveness. Now, I, I'm gonna repeat this over and over on the podcast and people may have heard me say it already, they may hear me say it again, but education, like most things as a concept, is on a pendulum. And it constantly swings back and forth between you know something you might remark as you know conservative or liberal or you know this you know left or right or what have you. And so in the 90s and in the late 80s and 90s, it had swung towards progressiveness, okay? That's this notion of treating the whole child, right? Focusing in on their relationships as much as you're focusing in on reading or math or science, you know, working on their feelings, really getting at every aspect of who they are and making them a whole person. And now we've seen since the Bush era, and since the Obama era, we've seen a swing back towards traditional education, which is more focused on getting our numbers up in the world rankings as far as reading, math, and science. And that's all that matters, is what are our scores? Well, because those are the How things are we you doing? can count. But because not everything things, that can be counted counts. Just but, as you said so, before. 
So, well, just going back to your kinder pre-K and kindergarten class and what what counted, and for me as a parent, what counted the most was how you were getting along with people. Right. Or maybe not the most, but certainly equal to all kinds of other strengths and skills that you might have or be developing. Sure. So what is what what do parents look for today? So now what it would look you? like. So I just read you I just read you several sections of my report card back then. They included right. special interests and like where he likes to work. Right. They included language, they included social and behavioral. There was also a section on literacy. There was also a section on writing. There was no section on math. Again, this was kindergarten. It was and kindergarten. There was no section on math. Right. Today, what you would have seen would have been a section on language slash literacy mm-hmm. that would have really focused more on how my language is developing my literacy, not so much like, you know, well, how I'm wait, using Wait, stop my for language. a minute. So this is for kindergartners. This There's no A, B, C, D. I mean, there, there's no letter grades. Well, you would get marks. No, you would get you would marks. You would get marks. It's okay. not A, B, C, D. Now, there's there's a lot of a lot of question about how you rank these things, but what it what I see most often is a scale, a number scale, mm-hmm. going from one to four. Mm-hmm. Now, again, what I say when I say that there's often a debate about this, teachers have a lot of questions and administrations as well about how these, should it be one through four? Should it be one to three? Should it be one to five? I I hear people say all the time, oh, it should be this, it should be that. And then each one is associated with something. So, right, so one is usually something along the lines of it's developing. In other words, we're not really seeing it and your child sucks at this. One to five is generally this, a scale that is... Yeah, one to five is a good scale, exactly. But often administrations don't even want that much because that's almost too detailed for them. Okay, all right. Okay, so it'll be like, on a one to four scale, it would be something like one is developing, two is um, age appropriate, three is it's their strength, you know, or like it's, it's above expectation and four is like your child is gifted in this area. Okay. And usually you're discouraged from even giving any fours uh, at all. Well, you're always discouraged from giving the top. You're discouraged score. from giving ones and fours. In it's, employment, it's, it's about, you it's know, about in, giving you twos know, and in threes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, we, we don't know if that's the again. That's what you would see. Whether that's okay. right or wrong, I'm not even going to place judgment on right now. So you would see on literacy and language next to my name, you would see. For me, back then, you would see a two, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. It was like there, but it wasn't anything to write home about. And then they, and then Yvonne would have written about my literacy development and how I was a pre-reader, mm-hmm. et cetera, or a beginner No, but then she would write about how you used like creative spelling in your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be a yeah, paragraph I mean, there would be a whole right. paragraph. But, but let's get back to how many sections there would be. There would okay. be a language and literacy. Mm-hmm. Then there would be a writing. Mm-hmm. There would be a math. Mm-hmm. And then there would be sort of a summation. Which would include Which would include your social. emotional, your social emotional. It would include your specials. But those wouldn't be, those wouldn't even be explicitly made. So, but so special might be, you know, drama, art, sure. music, sure. dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Um... You know, in my case, it'd be like, yeah, Gabe, Gabriel loves to argue with teachers and have his own way. Um, you right, know, that, okay. that might show up in that bottom cat category. Okay. And, and they would be less thorough on the whole. I'd say probably when I'm writing these things, I'm geared towards a five-sentence paragraph. And 
we said that Yvonne had really pages. about like five pages if you told these things. So up. a page on, on on each category. Yeah. With an with anecdotal information and in with anecdotal. Now I hope to include anecdotes and quotes in mine too. I mean the, that is right. good practice. Again, I wanna I wanna state out there as I have before and I will again. I'm the best fucking teacher I know. Now, well, you whether had or one not, of the best teachers. Now, whether or not I'm the best teacher on the planet, that's for others to decide. But I will say unequivocally, of all the people I have worked with, and I've worked with a lot of people at a lot of different schools, many of them great teachers, I am the best fucking teacher I know, and I do the best fucking job I can, wherever I can, whatever grade I can, whatever students I'm with. And with all that being said... I don't think I could do what Yvonne did. The work that we just read from her and to be able to write those things and more. I edited that down. Oh, yeah. And more for 25 students, handwritten, was incredible. Agreed. I couldn't even spell half the words that she wrote without having a spell check. She was writing them in script, in ink. Right. So, really, again... This whole thing is to say, as much as, uh, you know, the Gabriel today is still the Gaby of yesterday, that Yvonne Smith and the teachers of yesterday were doing, you know, fucking God's work in, like, a big-ass way. Well, also that you are the teacher you are today because of the education you had. It's without question. It's the, I mean, we, we've, we've said it in private, and we're happy to say it here on, on the podcast, Yvonne Smith is the reason I am a teacher. She's the reason I'm a teacher because of what she exposed me to and because of my experiences in her classroom. She was that much of a model, you know, and just of a human being that I wanted to be that and do that for other people. So again, kudos to Yvonne and kudos to anybody that has ever been in Yvonne's class or uh, in a, a future in, in a future class. podcast we'll just have to talk about Yvonne, we'll do it at Halloween because we'll talk about the pumpkin rot. Oh, great! We'll talk about the pumpkin rot. Yeah, right. we'll talk. We'll, we we can go through the entire curriculum of uh, every grade of CPE at some point. Right. Yeah. All right. That sounds good to me. I think that's gonna do it for us here. How do you feel about it, Ellen? Sounds good. You feel ready good? to wrap? It's a, it's a good wrap. Okay. Yeah. So that's gonna be our wrap up. So, um, as always, do continue to listen. Do continue to subscribe. Uh, we we want you listening out there. We love your support. Um, if you're so inclined, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dullcrayons, D-U-L-L-C-R-A-Y-O-N-S. As always, you can write into us at uh, dullcrayons at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, although why you would follow us on dead media, I don't even fucking know. We read all your emails, though. We do. We read every single one of your emails, so please do continue to write in. Uh, ask us questions. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, tell me my guests are wrong. Uh, you know, write in with topics you want to hear. Write in with people you want to hear on the podcast. We want to hear from you, so definitely do that. And again, find us on Patreon. I, as I, as I mentioned prior, I put a lot of pit up, a lot of jokes on the Patreon, Ellen. Oh yeah, a lot of jokes. Okay, that shit is funny. So even if you choose well, not I, to support I, us, just go visit us. I do support you, but I don't follow it so much. But I guess I have to go there. Just go follow us. Yep. Read the posts. Look at look at the levels. There's a lot of funny in it. Um, and, uh, and listen to us next time because we will be back.
Thanks again. Thanks. Bye.